<clears throat> All right. Um, so let us begin. Um, for, those who don't, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jakob Berkowitz. I have the privilege of being the Director of Programming here at the Kolo. So I'd like to thank you for joining us on this very special Pre-Yom Kippur lecture <clears throat> sponsored by the Senior Kolo Division of the St. Louis Kolo. It is indeed a very special privilege for us to host a, the world-renowned lecturer and educator, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Rietti, who's no stranger to St. Louis. In fact, he was just here not too long ago um, as a guest of Shari Chesed, City Shul. Originally from England, Rabbi Rietti received his smicha from the Gateshead Yeshiva and has practiced for over 30 years as an educational consultant to parents of gifted children and those with um, ADD and other um, issues. Rabbi Rietti has authored over 200 lectures on an array of topics, including inner growth, parenting, and Jewish identity. And as you'll soon see, he utilizes his background in the film and advertising industries to entertain his audiences while delivering an inspiring and upbeat message. You know, the saying goes, to give, to get, and to give creates too many problems. So double it, forget and forgive, and you'll solve any problem. The issue is that sometimes the hitch is not in receiving forgiveness from others, but allowing ourselves to forgive ourselves. And I can think of no one better than, better than Rabbi Rietti with his overt optimism and his unique ability to clarify complex topics to guide us in this journey of recognizing the need and how to forgive ourselves. So without further ado, I turn over to Rabbi Rietti. And as, as you noticed, everyone is muted and will be muted for the duration of this talk. If you have any questions, I'm sure there'll be time afterwards for some questions if Rabbi Rietti is able to indulge. Okay. So, special thank you to Rabbi Berkowitz for your very kind introduction. And also a special thank you to Rabbi Gidon Nitzan for inviting me to uh, share with you today on this uh, all-important subject of um, self-healing, because that's really part of the Shubas we're about to uh, elaborate. Um, yeah, I would, I would uh, be very happy for any questions. Um, if you want to leave it all to the end, that's fine. If, if uh, someone wants to stick their hands up in the air and, um, and the host wants to unmute them, that's also good. Um, so here's really the starting point. Um, we have to really call Teshuvah what it really is. Teshuvah makes no sense. It's not rational. It's not part of nature. It, it, it makes no sense that a person can make a mistake that's irrevertible. And because I'm saying sorry, in God's dictionary, it's erased. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense. If I've uh, spilt milk, it's spilt. I can clean it up afterwards but it doesn't change the fact that I spilt the milk. So this is something that our, our sages tell us, that because teshuva does not make sense, it's not part of the natural world. There are consequences based on choices that I make. But to then say that I can erase the consequences and erase as though there's no record of me having ever um, got a speeding ticket and now it's erased, it's not, it's not really true, it's down to a parking, parking ticket, or then I'm, I'm let off completely because the judge uh, uh, knows my family. I mean, so, something doesn't make sense about Teshuva. Why does it work? And the answer is it's pure gift, pure kindness. It makes no sense. And that's actually why our sages tell us Hashem had to create Teshuva before he created the world before he created the universe. It's one of those items that had to be created before time and space, so to speak, because it's beyond time and space. Only a Kaddish Baruch Hu, only the creator has this special veto card that he can pull out and say, well, Teshuva does make sense in my dictionary because I created it before the physical world of action and consequence. And therefore, I'm allowed to take this Teshuvah card and veto, override any mistakes a human being has made. So that's number one. Number one, it makes no sense. The only conclusion you, you are forced to accept 
is that the whole concept of teshuva is a hundred percent gift that's not owed to me. It's a hundred percent not natural. Number two of this, a Kaddish Baruch Hu tells us a part of our teshuva in these special days is we say the Yud Gimel Mitzvahs of Rachamim, and it starts off by repeating one of Hashem's seven names that we're forbidden to uh, erase. Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey is repeated twice. Our sages famously tell us that when Hashem gave this secret to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, that by saying these three, these thirteen measures of unbelievable compassion that is part of God's definition. By saying them, we actually are helping to erase mistakes that we've made. And the first two words, Hashem, Hashem. Why is Hashem's name, Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, repeated twice? So Chazal tell us the, 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 the name of Hashem, Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, is actually an abbreviation. It's an abbreviation, as you know, for Haya, Hove, Viyiyah. He was, is, and always will be. It's a, it's a, it's a intimating that Hashem is beyond time. He created time. He's outside of time. And therefore, what this, what this means is the past, present, and future exist simultaneously for Kodesh Baruch Hu. There is no boundary of time. So the Arizal, one of the famous uh, Kabbalists, explains that when we say Hashem's name twice over here, we're saying it that, number one, you are Hashem before I did the Avera, and you're the same Hashem after I did an Avera. But the question we're going to look at right now is, where is Hashem during the Avera? So what this means to say is that God kept me alive before I did something wrong. He kept me alive afterwards. Why doesn't he just zap me straight away? Because he made no junk. And Hashem knows that I'm perfectly capable of changing. The only person I was created to change, myself. And because of that optimism, if you want to call it, that confidence, that trust that Hashem knows we can choose to change. Therefore, he keeps me alive before and during and after on the expectation that one day I might actually ask for forgiveness from my wife, my kids, grandchildren, if appropriate, uh, friends, neighbors, co-worker, boss, client, um, learning partner, um, did we cover everybody? So Hashem is holding out that we will eventually come to the conclusion on our own that I'm here to change me. So, so number one of this, teshuva doesn't make sense. It's a pure gift. It's, it's out of the realm of the natural. Number two of this is that Hashem actually exists before, during, and after in order to send the most incredible message that Hashem is not zapping me right after my Aveira. He's not zapping me just before I do the Aveira. He's not even zapping me during the Aveira. He's holding out for me, and that's a huge vote of confidence that no matter how much I've given up on me, Hasbashalom, God forbid, God has not given up on me. And the proof is I'm still here. In fact, the very first words we say every morning, before we finish the rest of the sentence, we've already said, a huge message of reality. I am here to be grateful. Moida, Ani, I'm a thank youer. Moida is a language of vidui. I'm here to admit. I'm ad- an admitter. I'm here to admit my mistakes. I'm here to admit I owe you, God. I owe you a huge gratitude for the fact that you, you woke me up this morning. Because I went to bed last night, as I think most of us did, um, with no contract that God has to wake me up this morning. So the very fact that I woke up is a massive message from God who's basically saying, I haven't given up on you. And the proof is, I'm giving you another day. So the concept of God being beyond time is really important for us to know because that's what gives Hashem license, so to speak. Shem doesn't need license from anyone. But it is, uh, knowing that he created time and he's, he's beyond it. He existed before 
and he will always exist. Who Rishon? Who Acharon? He's outside of time. But the fact that he calls himself Yudke Vavke, I existed before, during, and after the Aveira, what it's really saying is, is the following. There's no such thing as Yush. It's impossible to ever give up. It's impossible. The, the concept of despair is a human invention, but it's not in God's vocabulary. It's not in God's vocabulary because he's saying that I can take yesterday, says God, yesterday is right in front of me. I can take a mistake you made yesterday and I can take your new mindset, which says, I wish I never did that. I wish I never said that. I can't believe I... I had an opportunity not to speak Lashon Hara and I still let my tongue loose when that person's name came up. And I promised myself I'm going to try my best not to do that. And I fell. And God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your intent right now, which is regret and wish you never said that. And you're promising yourself, so to speak, that um, you, you never want to do that ever again. God takes my new intent and he dubs it, so to speak, on top of the action that took place yesterday. That means to say, he's going to take something I did yesterday, knowingly, I didn't really want to get into it, but I allowed myself. So I knowingly said what I said. And now God takes my regret today, and my wishing I never said that, puts it on top of the action that took place yesterday, and all of a sudden, it has been, what I said yesterday, has been relegated from amazed to a shoigeg, from deliberate to inadvertent, I wish I never did it. That's when we do teshuva meyira, because I'm fearful of the consequences I do teshuva. And that's what Hazal tells us. I think it's Yuma Pei Vav ran about there, tells us that when we do teshuva meyira, we do teshuva from fear of the consequences, we actually change the consequences of the Avera we did. Because now instead of it, having consequences of having done something deliberately, which is completely different to shoigeg, completely different to inadvertent, all of a sudden the consequences have been relegated to only inadvertent. Comes along the same Gemara, it's Paskin in, in, in Rambam. If a person does teshuva me'ava, he does teshuva because it's not just regret, out of the incredible realization Hashem, you are so good to me. You gave me, I, you gave me another chance. I woke up this morning. You are providing all my needs in my life with my wife, with my husband, with my children, my grandchildren. You, you provide me panasa all these years, all these decades. I have a home, a career, retired. Whatever, whatever the blessings are, the cognizance of the blessings in quantity and quality that Hashem has showered upon me might one day lead me to want to correct myself simply out of deep love for God. You're so good to me. I wish I never did that. And to Shuva Me'ava, now Hashem takes his name, Yud and Hey and Vav and Hey, Yud Kei Vav Kei. He takes my Teshuva from Ava today and dubs it, so to speak, uh, superimposes it on the mistake I did yesterday deliberately, and now it not only got uh, relegated to an Avera that was done Boshogek inadvertently instead of in, in, uh, deliberately, it's now Mahapech. Hashem turns it around and he changes the Avera into a Zachus, into a merit. Whoa! That makes no sense! Precisely. Teshuva is not rational. It's not logical. Hashem has his own definition of reality versus our definition of reality, which is only our definition of reality, only, ever, until Hashem helps me realize there's a much bigger picture. And in his picture, when I, so to speak, plug into his reality, we come across a whole new dictionary of defining terms. Teshuva is very real. And how, how does it work? So Hashem himself, let's ask God, let's ask God um, what do you say about Teshuva? So he says something quite remarkable. It's near the end of the Torah. We actually 
um, uh, said it just very recently in Perik Lamad, uh, I think it's Pasuk Yudalad in Dvarim. Um, Hashem says about Teshuvah, look at Ramban and Rashi over there, Ki Karev Hadava Moed. Ki Hadava, Hadava Karev Eilecha Moed. This item is extremely close to you. And it's referring to, it's a Mahalik is showing him a discussion amongst our earlier uh, rabbis whether it's referring to Teshuvah or to Torah, that this is extremely close to you. Others will tell you actually it's really both, and there's no machlekes because the Gemara tells us in I think it's in uh, Brachas Yud Zayin, round about there, that Tachlis Hachma, the purpose of wisdom, which Rashi says is Torah, the purpose of Hachma of Torah is Tachlis Hachma Teshuvah Ma'asim Tovim. So the whole purpose of learning Torah is for me to change myself, to improve myself, improve my actions. So really, it's not in that sense it's not a machlekes, but the the, the language of God to Moshe Benu, for us to penetrate into our minds and souls, is that Ki This item of Teshuvah is extremely close to you. How close is close? Well, how close are you to opening your mouth and saying one word? <laughs> it's, it's effortless. And what's that one word? Chatati. I made a mistake. This, this mitzvah of Teshuvah is exceedingly close to you because it's in your mouth. And it's in your thoughts. The word lev uh, typically is translated as heart. Uh, check out Eben Ezra, and Ramban also quotes Eben Ezra on Perek Vav, Pasuk Hei, um, in Dvarim, Parshas Vayeschanan, where we say every day, and you will love at Hashem Elokecha. Hashem, your power, bechol levavcha, with all your levavcha, says Eben Ezra Ramban, lev hu hadaas. The word lev means daas. The Rabbi Victor Miller talks about this many times. Um, he was he was um, uh, unapologet- unapologetically um, honest about everything, including our mistranslation. It's a innocent mistranslation, it's not deliberate, it's just taking from what's popular. But the word lev most of the time, vast majority of times, actually means thought or mind. So when we say, uh, this item of teshuva is extremely close to you because it's in your mouth to say one word, and in your thoughts, the word lev, when it's doubled over, levav, it's talking about thoughts, it's plural. Lev on its own is just mind. Levavcha means your thoughts. This is exceedingly close for you to say one word, chatati, and it's in your thoughts to say, I'm sorry, one here or a thought of teshuvah, and to do it, Hashem will count it. So the Torah is testifying that teshuvah doesn't have to be some complicated long-term career. We're, we're always got what to improve upon, but the actual mitzvah in God's dictionary of how Teshuvah works is it's one thought. You're one thought away from changing your mind. You're one word away. I say one word because the very first mistake ever committed, of course, was the only mistake Adam Arishan could possibly have committed, and that's eating from the tree. And when Hashem confronts Adam Arishan, and says, oh, why are you embarrassed about your nakedness? Oh, is it possible that from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Oh, that's why. Now, why does Hashem put it in question form? Why didn't he just say, I know you ate from the tree. Here's your punishment. Why does he ask him, are you embarrassed because you ate from the tree? Is that possibly why? Now, what was Hashem soliciting from Adam Arishan? And obviously the answer is he was giving him a chance to, says the Medrash Agada, check out the Medrash Agada on that Pasuk. He was, he was, Hashem was inviting Adam to say one word, Chatati. Says the Medrash Agada, had Adam Harishan said one word, Chatati, Hashem would have forgiven him completely. Ho oh, ho, one word, erases the mistake. So, Adam really messed up. I mean, royal, really big time. I could never say that because I'll say it right at the beginning, near the beginning of Gemara, Avodah Zara. He was called a kaifatite, an ingrate, because his next words were, Ha'isha! 
woman. Now, who's he blaming? It looks like he's blaming Chava. Hashem, that you, Hashem, gifted to stand by me. He not the least. She gave it to me, Rachel, and I ate. Adam, you were given a wife as an Aza, a partner, and instead of taking responsibility for the mistake you did make and saying one word, which Hashem would have forgiven you for, you went and made it much worse because you're blaming your wife and a Kodesh Baruch who gifted your wife. So that's where Hashem came down and very, very heavy. But look quickly at what he did next. Hashem turns to Hava and asks, why did you eat from the tree? What? Why is he asking her a question? And the answer is again, Hashem always gives us an opening, room to say sorry. And the same Medrashagada, I could have never, I would, I blew, me, blew my mind when I saw this. The same Medrashagada says, if Hava had said one word, Khatati, Hashem would have forgiven both of them. Now that's something worth exploring, that she had the power in one word to activate Mechila, forgiveness for her and her husband. That's, that's extraordinary. But unfortunately, Hava played the same game as her husband and went into the blame game. And Hanachash, Ishiani, that snake, persuaded me. And now begins the famous blame game. Adam's busy blaming Chava's busy blaming the snake. Do you ever wonder why Hashem never asked the snake? Oh, he didn't have a leg to stand on. Um, actually, uh, he did. Uh, uh, he had two legs at that time. That, that's pre Okay, so comes along the tower and tells me one word makes all the difference. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, we just read in yesterday's Haftarah on, on Soim Gedalia, uh, uh, the Taina Sibur, the, the, the Haftarah is always taken from Yeshayahu, Perak Nun Hei, Pasuk Vav, and where we're, we're being reminded by the great Navi, Dirshu, uh, check Hashem out, search for him, when he can be found. Because I'll tell us that's in these days, the 10 days before, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. 10 special, special days. Really, it it's, doesn't make sense because Hashem's found everywhere. He's everywhere all the time. But there's a, a special invitation that in these particular days, Hashem is even more receptive to that one word, chatati. That's all it takes. And it's in those psukim over there, check it out, it's beautiful, beautiful psukim, where Hashem says through the Navi, loy the way I think is not the way you think. And, and what I do is not the same as what you do. There's no comparison. They're just like the sky and the earth are two separate entities. And even though they're intertwined because the sky will bring down through the rain clouds, rain. And through the nutrition in the rain will bring nutrition to the topsoil, for food to grow, for man to live. And I'm doing all that for you. And just like when the rain comes down, I send it down to do its job and it will do its job. I'm telling you that my thinking is not the way you think. You think, look at Rashi and Radak and uh, the various Mepharshim there, Barbara fascinating. You think that one hearer of Teshuva, one thought of Teshuva has no chance of giving me a whole new start. And the way I think, says God, is that I count every thought that you ever have. And the only reason I don't do teshuva is very simple. I don't believe that thinking is going to make any difference. I don't believe that whatever I say will make any difference. I don't believe that anything I'm going to do is going to make any difference. And that is the source of any form of despair. Where God forbid, I would give up hope. The only way I can give up hope is if I actually don't believe there's anything I can think, say, or do that will make any difference to save this marriage, to help this kid, to help pull me out of debt. And, and I just fall into a place of giving up. And God says, if you really knew how I count every thought, then you would realize the power of teshuva and you'd be able to move forward all the time because every single day you're not looking back you're moving forward 
Khatati, I'm sorry, start again. Khatati, I'm sorry, start again. Because I'll say something, Yirmiyahu says it very, very powerfully. He says in Perek Lamat Aleph, he says, Achre Shuvi Nechamti. After I did Teshuvah, then I regretted. Now, this is brought, by the way, in Hilchas Teshuvah of Rambam, and it's really Kadai. I think, I'm not sure, I didn't check before, but I think it's in Perek base Halacha uh, Vav. I'm not sure, but I think it's there in Hilchas Teshuvah of the Rambam. It's, it's worth looking at. So he goes through the steps of, of Teshuvah, and he tells us the first step I've got to do when I'm doing Teshuvah is to stop thinking about the thing I did wrong is to stop telling myself, beating myself up. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I'll never change. I'll never be a good husband. I'll never be a good father. I'll never be a good grandmother. I can't take it anymore. I beat myself up and beat myself up. And Rambam tells me the first step in Teshuva is to yasim machshavoisav. He should remove from his thoughts the Aveira that he did. And then, after I've done Teshuva, then regret. That's, and then he brings the pasuk from Yeremiah. After I did Teshuvah, then I regretted. Now, most of us look at regret as something that you have before you do Teshuvah. I think most of us agree. And what Rabbeinu Yonah in Shah Gimel tells us about this Rambam is fascinating. There are essentially two types uh, of... Yes, uh, I need to know uh, the status of a couple of scripts. There are two types of regret. There's regret that works, and there's regret that doesn't work. The regret that works is when I've let go of thinking about how many mistakes I've made in this marriage, how I should have, could have done differently raising this kid, the mistakes I made in my career and with my finances and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, and my sister-in-law. And, and Hashem says, there's two types of regret. There's the regret that deepens the problem, keeps me sinking further down. And that's the regret that takes place before I've done Teshuvah. It's not functional regret, it's dysfunctional regret. It's regret that's coming from my Sahara. it's not coming from the Yitzhah The regret that works, says Rambam, is Achre Shuvi Nechamti, after I did Teshuvah. And what's the Teshuvah? Stop thinking about it. Move on, let go, start again. Now, I can regret about it, because now when I regret after I've let go, and I'm not thinking about it, and I'm not doing it anymore. Now when I remember, I go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And this regret actually propels me further away from the original mistake. But the more I'm beating myself up before I've even done Teshuvah properly, it keeps me local to the Avera. Because I start beating myself up so much, I'm such a low, I'm so, I'm such a terrible person, I can never change, I'm so, I'm such a slob, I'm not in control. I beat myself so much that the message I'm saying to myself is, I can't change. Look how bad I am. This is terrible. Now I'm going to prove to you, in a very logical way, I hope, um, how these two versions of regret are very real. There's regret that doesn't work, the Yate Sahara. Because the more the Yitzhar can get me to feel bad about what I did wrong, the more likely I'm going to do it again. Because that's who I am. I make mistakes. I, I'm doing this. I've done this for years. I can't, I can't take control of my health. I just can't say no to the wrong food, uh, the wrong drink, the addictions house for Shalom. Whatever it is that I'm, I'm, I can't get out of. And comes along Kashbar who wants me to know that the Yitzhahara is so brilliant, he'll make me think that part of my teshuva is when I beat myself up. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is, no. First, stop thinking about the Aveira. Let go of the Aveira. Now, when I have regret, it, I'll, I'll, I'm such a different person from there that I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. And that regret will distance me further away. So what's that proof? I'm going to share with you the following. It's a very, very simple demonstration. Before, um, Abai, can I ask a question before yes, you please. go? Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Adam Harishon commits the first Avera, okay? And he does not take ownership of it. He blames 
his wife. Chava is complicit in that, commits the second Avera, she's, whatever the order of it is, it's one and two, two Averas, and that's that generation and, and, and the, the punishment that occurs from them not taking ownership of it. What happens in the next generation with Kayan and, and Oval, where he asked the same question, he knows the answer already, but he asked the same kind of question, where's your brother? All he's wanting to know, he knows where he is, he knows what's happened, because he's omniscient and omnipresent, so he knows what happened. He knows when it. He knows everything about. All he's wanting to do is hear. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I so did, Leslie, I, what's the question? The question is, does the Rabboni Sheolam ask? Does anybody after a Cain and Abel? Does anybody else after that? Is there another instance where the Rabboni Sheolam says? What, what, what's going on? Why did you do to a particular individual? So for hear... example, in chapter 22 of Book of Numbers, you'll see that, um, that uh, Bilam um, uh, goes and does, does his um, various witchcraft or whatever to get into a state where he's um, deserving of um, Nevoah prophecy. And, and Hashem says, who are these people who are with you? Meaning to say, Hashem is giving him an opening to admit, well, of course you know who they are, and it's ridiculous for me to even entertain the possibility that I'm going to go along with them and curse your, your nation. Um, so that's an example, because I'll give us that okay. Hashem, Hashem will, will give, invite us to express teshuva as opposed to be obstinate, like you quoted Adam and Chava. So... Um, here's here's where I want to uh, where I want to go with this. Um, you're a, you're a father. You're a mother, and your child was unusually defiant, really unbelievable chutzpah, off the off the charts. And now your child comes to you and he wants your forgiveness. So I'm going to offer you two options, and you tell me as a, a loving father, mother, which of these two options do you want your son? to enact. Option number one, he comes to you and says, Mom, and I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, I can't believe I, I said that to you. Please forgive me, I'm really sorry. And, and you say, of course, Michael, I, I love you, you're my son, of course I forgive you. Really, Dad, really? I, sure, of course, you, I see you really mean it. No, but Dad, I was such a Russian girl, such a bad kid. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I'm so bad. I'm terrible. I can't believe I did that. And are you going to say, oh, this is wonderful. I'm so happy that you're feeling this way. Option number two, your son comes to you, said that. I'm really sorry. I can't believe I said that. I'm really, I can't believe I said that. I just, I just can you please forgive me? And, and you say, you know, my son, my daughter, whatever it is. Of course, I, I love you. You're my child. I forgive you. Really? You mean it? Really? Yeah, of course. Oh, Dad, thank you so much. And you hug and you get back into rapport. Ladies and gentlemen, which of those two would you select for your kid? Option one, where he beats himself up even after you say you're forgiving him, or option number two? Which one? Number two? Okay, good. Peace to you too. So we all agree that's, of course, that's what we want. How does a Kodesh Baruch Hu want me to take the mitzvah of Teshuvah? To be hating myself, beating myself up, or to start again? Say, sorry, khatati, I made, one, I made a mistake. Move on. Let go. Let me share with you how powerful this really is. It's, uh, this, I'm sharing with you an insight from the Chidush Arim. Um, Sarah Imenu laughed when she heard that her, her husband and she are, are finally going to have a child. She's 90 years old and she's been barren all these decades. She's been praying proficiently for a child. And when she overhears this conversation with these three malachim, her first gut reaction was she laughed. And the Torah 
testifies that she was then challenged. Sarah, why did you laugh? What was her answer? No, Sahakti, I didn't laugh. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, talk of denial. It's not a river in Egypt. It's when a person like, is in denial. Never mind. So, Sarah Mainu, how could you say you didn't laugh? The Torah wrote that you laughed. And now when you asked, why did you laugh? You said, I didn't laugh. You, you did laugh. Says the Chidush Rim. And he's quoting the same Rambam I was, I was describing to you before, only a few lines later. The Rambam says, part of the derech of Teshuva, the way to do Teshuva is to change your name. Says Rambam, I don't mean literally change your name, but metaphorically speaking, say of yourself, oh, that's the old Jonathan. Oh, that's the old uh, Ralph. That's the old Leslie. That's the old Linda. That's the old Lawrence. That's the, oh, that's not me. That was the old me. Sari Menu was so acutely aware of herself that the moment she laughed, she hugged. What am I laughing about? This is what I've been praying for for decades. And then when the Torah says, why did you laugh? Her answer was, says the Chidush, oh, that was the old Sarah. <laughs> I didn't laugh. That's, that's not me. Oh, that is the power of one moment. And when asked, you know, what's the most important moment in our entire lives? Was it under the wedding? Was it when we first gave birth to that first child? Uh, when we, uh, our first child married, our grandchild married. What was the most important moment in our lives? And really the bottom line is, there is no other moment in our lives, except right now. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow doesn't exist and actually never will, because as soon as I get to tomorrow, it's already the present. So the only moment that ever exists is right now. So Kaddish Baruch Hu, he takes my thought right now, which is the real me, and plants that thought on top of whatever it is I'm saying sorry for, and changes that entire history. Cut and paste, or in this case, just cut and edit it out. So the last item I want to bring is something that's in Shulchan Aruch. It's in the Code of Jewish Law. It's based on a, on a situation that's, um, brought up in the Gemara in Kedushin, I think around about Daf uh, Mem, I think it is. So uh, in Shulchanar Evan Ezra, um, in, in section 38, subsection 31, the scenario painted there, I'm going to embellish it slightly, but the actual case is the same. You've got a Russia, some say a Russia Gomer. Everyone knows this person is a totally wicked individual. And um, I'm just embellishing this, but this is, this, it still fits. He's eating a grilled ham cheese sandwich in the last minutes of Yom Kippur. He takes one last bite and the swallow takes place one second before Yom Kippur goes out. So he's eating a ham cheese grilled. Basil Kala, with your eyes, sir. He's, and he's doing it on Yom Kippur and he knows exactly what he's doing. He takes a swallow and as he swallows, Yom Kippur goes out and in the next seconds he pulls out of his pocket a coin or a ring. He puts it on the finger of a lady standing next to him and he says to her, hurry up mikudeshously. Behold, you are betrothed to me, Almanas, on condition, Shani Sadiq, that I am a righteous individual. According to, you look in Evan Ezra over there, section 38, subsection 31, uh, I think it's the uh, Rabbi Akiva Eger inserts, Amanas Sa'ani Tzadikamur. I'm a completely righteous individual. What's the halacha? Is this a valid marriage? Yes or no? The, the rabbis can't play games here. This has got a, our, when we Paschal, when our rabbis would, give a ruling, it has to be as close as possible to God's mind. Because Das Torah is, is God's mind. So we're, we're inserting what would Hashem tell us is the halacha. And the, and the halacha is, as you know, mekudeshes. This is a totally valid marriage. That means it's very serious. If they want to get divorced, he's got to go, they've got to go through a get. Why is it valid? And the answer, Shulchan Aruch, 
Shema, perhaps, hear teshuva belibai. Perhaps he had a thought of teshuva in his mind. And in that case, in God's dictionary, that's reality. Because Hashem already told us through the Navi, I don't think like you do. I count every thought that you make, every single muscle movement that you ever made in your life, for good or not, is counted. You know, I think we're living in a generation where this is so much easier to understand. And I'll tell you why. Shulchan Aruch is telling us reality. In God's dictionary, one thought can make all the difference. Even though you and I saw that this man was eating a ham cheese sandwich, it was a Russia gummer, it's completely wicked, thoroughly wicked a moment ago, and yet one moment later, um, he can actually be virtually and legitimately married to this lady on the condition that he's a completely righteous individual. And it all hangs on one thought of teshuva. How do we know this is... It's getting much easier. I think what Hashem is doing through the media and specifically the various platforms that um, have appeared in the last decade or two, not much more, between Facebook and Google, between Twitter and all the various ways which we get multiple pieces of information. How does that work? So it's kind of interesting that what we've been saying all along is really based on a simple Gemara in Marcus Daf Yudamud Base, Baderach Adam Lelech, the direction a person really wants to go in, Moilichin Ba, they accompany him. So the famous Marasha on that Gemara says the structure of the sentence doesn't is not consistent. Baderach Adam Roitze Lelech. But the direction a person wants to go in is all in singular. They accompany him. Who's they? Says the Marasha, everything you and I think creates a malach, a spiritual power. Everything you and I say, every single word creates a spiritual power. We call it a malach, an angel. Everything we do creates a malach. Those malachim we create, are directing the person in the direction they want to go in. So today, <coughs> interestingly, the way the supercomputers work, and when I talk, I'm talking about computers that hold trillions and trillions and trillions of pieces of information, what they collect from every single time any of us touch that little device, that screen, and we scroll down or we press click on a specific area, whether it's on our laptop, computer, desktop, um, uh, uh, smartphone, Android, tablet, all these devices, every time we use a um, uh, credit card, all our behaviors are being recorded, every single one. And they are entered into this supercomputer using something called algorithms. Algorithms, just to super simplify, is like a template. And you and I are the ones who are providing information to fill this template. What the template does, what this algorithm does, is it takes all the buying habits, everything you and I watch, click on, everything you and I buy, everything you and I like it being entertained by, or, or, or dress, or pay for the type of groceries, everything, everything is being recorded and it's located inside this template, which is really an algorithm, so that it helps determine what I'm going to do next. And because of, because of the patterns of buying and type of websites that I would go to or click on or things that I'm, I, I, I like watching or, or, or reading, um, all of this is being recorded so that it can determine the range of movies, clothes, products, services that I would most likely buy, eat, drink, uh, 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 vacate. It's, and they will give me millions of pop-ups. It's a slight exaggeration. It's hundreds of thousands of pop-ups a year on my phone, on my Android, on my smartphone, on my, in order to 
help me get what I want. And what's happening is we, we no longer need emuna pshuta. You don't need the simple faith to believe there's such a thing as a, an invisible world that's creating malachim based on what we're saying and doing and thinking. Because Hashem is bringing about through technology ways by which we are literally circumventing emuna pshuta and going straight to the experience. We experience the emuna of Hashem knowing everything, seeing everything, recording everything, and how every single detail is actually making a huge difference because it's part of the profile that I'm creating for myself. Uh, I'm not going into a judgment of the mediums and the platforms that these have created. If you're interested in understanding it better, there's a fascinating documentary by a number of engineers and uh, people who actually started Facebook and Google who are coming out in the open and admitting openly that even though there was never ever any evil intent um, in manipulating and controlling people's minds, what they realize is that this whole world of AI, artificial intelligence, through these supercomputers and now with all these devices that are collecting all our data, what's actually happening is that We've, we've moved, they say, it's a very interesting line, we've moved from the age of information to the age of misinformation. We are being fed, not just fake information of fake news, it's being fed by us. Because I'm choosing if I'm a Democrat, or if I'm a Rahman Islam, or if I'm a, 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 a Republican, yay, then um, I'm making choices of what I want to listen to, watch, and then that device, because it's sending me information to the supercomputer, will send me back more of what I like. So I'm choosing to go in the directions that I'm going in. And it's really not... So God wants me to realize I can change. And one of the greatest ways for me to change is... How, am I really going to spend a lot of the rest of my life? Oh, sorry. Um, really? I'm going to let in the media? I think it's an amazing word. Media is such an amazing word. The hashkacha behind this word blows my mind. Media, media is media. Whose opinion? Whose mind? Am I letting into my mind? Do I own anything? that is more valuable than my own mind? Why would I let opinions that are not verified, not backed up, done on hearsay, and it's part of a whole algorithm that is actually created so that I'm the one who's feeding the type of information, the direction I want to go in, and I'm not getting another side, I'm not hearing another opinion, I'm not getting a big picture, I'm not getting the context, I'm hearing exaggeration, I'm hearing misinformation, why would I go there? And part of my teshuva has to be, Rabban Shlom, help me spend a few more minutes, if not more, filling my mind with your mind, your Torah, so that the clarity of your mind will help me realize, yes, one thought makes all the difference. One kind word makes all the difference. I'm, I'm going to close. There's much more to be said on this important subject. I'll close on quoting one of the uh, Rosh Shivas of, of um, uh, Orsamech in Monsi, Rabbi Yisrael Rakowski, Shlita, who every Yom Kippur at Ne'ila would say the same very, very powerful message. And that was the following. How do you get an easy pass on Yom Kippur? And he said something, he quotes Chazal, Kol al If I'm going to do something that's not easy for me, and let go of that resentment, anger, bitterness towards so-and-so, who I think really messed up my life. If I can be Marvir, let go on the middas of resentment, anger, jealousy, bitterness, even desire for revenge, God forbid, hatred, I mean, very, very deep emotions. If I can let go of those, at this difficult moment and say, Rebbe Shalom, I'm letting go and I forgive them. Not easy, not easy. Then Ma'avir and Mimeinu, I'll call Avoy Noisav. What will Hashem do in response? Hashem will take off the record 
all my deliberate, Avonis is very, very serious, deliberate, thought out Aveiras gets erased from my profile. Now comes Neila at the closing gates of Teshuva, right at the end of 40 days of preparation. And in last, those last moments, we say, I forgive so-and-so, even though it's not easy for me, but I really want to forgive that person. God says, I can't be more of a Rachman than you. So if you're going to be Mavir al-Midoy Secha, I will erase your deliberate avarice against me. That's Midah Kanek and Midah. Actually, it's always a kinder, a kinder measure on Hashem's behalf. In the schus, in the merit of knowing that every thought really counts in Hashem's dictionary. It's only because thought is invisible that I don't notice it. I'm not paying enough attention. But when we read Sfarim, we see it again and again. One hearer of Teshuva can earn a person eternity. It's worth coming into this world for one hearer of Teshuva, even though, even though I might not get a lot of Elam Haba for it, but maybe the, soaks, the, the smoking section. But after we've paid the price, Hasbushalam, of, of all our veras in Gehenna, so there's eternity for one mitzvah. One hero of teshuva is a mitzvah. In the schus of knowing that that is what Hashem really counts in His dictionary, we shall all be zeicher to count what we think, say, and do, and wake up in the morning and say, "I've got another chance. I'm never out. Never. I'm never out of the game because Hashem, you brought me back in today, and therefore it's another day for me to be able to say, "I love you. I'm sorry. I'm starting again. Don't live in regret." Move forward in the Schusadat, which will be Zaycha to be written, Sefa Chaim, us and all our families and all our extended families and all of Kalisol. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rabbi Rieti. Wow, I hear the clapping. Though it's muted, I still hear it. Um, if anyone has any questions before we let Rabbi Rieti go, please feel free to unmute yourself and ask. Oh, David Rich, I didn't see you there. <laughs>